Turn to the book of 1 John, and I appreciate uh, you bearing with me there. And I, I really pray that a lot of you ladies take advantage of that. And Tuesday nights, we're here. And last night, we had a good prayer time, but there sure should have been some more people. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? We're going to come to it when we get to 1 John chapter 4. And I know things are busy, I know life is busy, but you know, um, I believe if we would pray sometimes about it, God would lead us to a prayer meeting. And we're here Tuesday night, 6.30 to 7.30, if you'd like to come. And so now, let's look at 1 John, and I've got uh, the first verse up here. So you can read it in your Bible, or you can just read this, the first part of 1 John with me. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going through uh, eight verses tonight. How many of you are enjoying this series in 1 John? I'll tell you what, a lot of Christians are anemic. They're anemic because they're not getting the Word of God. We have church meetings that are like pep rallies. I believe in excitement. I think excitement is good. I get excited when I preach. But we are anemic because we're not in the Word of God. Faith comes. You hear that? It doesn't stay away. Faith comes by hearing and understanding the Word of God. And so tonight we're going to get into it. And I, I appreciate all of you coming out on Wednesday nights to go through the book of 1 John. It's going to bless you. Let's just read the, the beginning. Let's just read the first verse together. We can do that. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Let's stop right there and pray. Father, thank you for your blessing on the word tonight. Lord, my sincere prayer is that this church will not be anemic, that we will not be lacking in our understanding of the Word of God. I know that, Lord, there are struggles represented in this room. I know, Lord, that great warfare is happening against many in this room. And I know that the devil is defeated, Lord, by the power of the Word that is in us. So I pray, Lord, teach us, strengthen us, exhort us, comfort us, and broaden our understanding of your word. Now, would you just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This is such good stuff. I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying uh, just preparing for 1 John to teach it. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not, uh-oh, uh-oh. You mean Christians aren't supposed to sin? What does he mean? I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. How many of you have sinned once or twice since you got saved? Just want to know. Now, i got to explain a couple of things to you. One of the reasons in this series for this book that I'm going to, uh, from time to time, be saying, now here is what the Greek language says because 1 John is one of the books that if you don't understand the language, certain aspects of it, you can come away from 1 John thinking you're not saved, thinking that you're in big spiritual trouble because we don't understand the, 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 the verbiage of, of the original language. So I'm not going to go over your heads. I'll make it real simple. But there are times, and I'm going to do it in this, this class tonight, where we need to understand, because the Greek language is so much richer than English. Some things are lost in translation. Not the essence of the message, but some things are lost in translation. When somebody says, 
Well, I'm an inerrantist. I believe that there is not a mistake in the Word of God. I don't believe there's a mistake in the Word of God. I am an inerrantist. It is free of error. All right? Here's what we don't mean. We don't mean pertaining to translations because there are some mistakes in translations or there are some things lost. What we mean is I am an, an inerrantist as it pertains to the original manuscripts. All right? Which were written in the New Testament Greek, written in Greek. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's just Greek to me. All right, well, that's why God had me study it a little bit. Because we need to understand, like when he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right off the bat, a lot of us feel like, well, I'm in trouble then. I wish you could see you when I look at you after I say something like that, because halos go up here. I'm fine with verse 1, Pastor Jeff. Well, let me just explain some things. Let's uh, just open up this verse now. Six times, John addresses his readers as my little children. Jesus used the same phrase in John 13, 33. Jesus said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Now there, out there is Simon Peter, way older than Jesus. But he says, my little children. He's talking about those who have been begotten of me. Those who have been begotten of me. So if you're 90, you're a child of God, begotten of him. And so when John wants to get very gentle with us and express patience and gentleness, then he says things like, my little children. He's just borrowing from the one who he followed for three and a half years. In chapter 2, John's manner changes from chapter 1. He goes from, we write to you, to I'm writing to you. We write to you in, in, ver- in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, now I'm writing to you. He's, he's getting more personal. He's, he's getting more gentle. He's getting more fatherly. So his approach is gentle and patient, and the reason it is is because he's about to hurl some zingers at us. And that's why he's getting patient and very gentle. You remember I told you last time, John floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. John will punch you with a velvet glove and smile and say, I love you. And it's, in, it's, in, it's a good thing. How many of you want John to tell us the truth? All right. So he's writing by the Spirit now. He says, he's saying, I know I've told you, for instance, that he will cleanse you of all sin. Where did he tell us that? 1 John 1, 9. If anyone sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, here's what he's doing in chapter 2. He's concerned that in saying that, we would say, oh, well, if, if any old time I sin, he's just going to forgive me, then I'm not going to be real uptight about sinning. I'm not going to worry about it because he'll just forgive me. I'll just repent when I'm 99 and on my deathbed and he'll forgive me. So he's saying, I know I've told you that he will cleanse you of all sin, but not to embolden you to go on sinning. He's not teaching what I call greasy grace or sloppy agape. You hear what I'm saying? Greasy grace says, well, if I'm, if I'm in grace, if I'm covered in grace, and this is not by works, but it's all by grace, and I'm justified by faith through grace, 
then I'm not going to be real uptight about the way I live because I'm covered. I've got my fire insurance. John says, no, if you got that out of 1 John 1, 9, you're all wrong because the reason I'm writing to you is so that you will not sin. Oh, then I misunderstood verse 9. Okay? Now he tells us, he tells us, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. If we sin. Now let's just look at this a minute. When he says sins, if anyone sins, now here I go with a little bit of Greek, it's in the aorist verb tense. Now here's what that means, real simple. It happens in the past, it's a one-time event, and it's over. He's not talking about if anyone lives continuously in sin. What we're going to pick up from 1 John is this. He does not expect Christians to live in sin. This is the, so when he uses the aorist tense in a verb, when he uses the aorist tense, he's wanting us to get it. He's wanting us to understand, I'm not talking about people who live continuously, ongoingly in sin. He's saying, if, if you sin, you have an advocate. Now, here's what I've learned about the Word of God a long time ago. Are we ever going to fully obey the Word? No. Because on your way here, you thought something you shouldn't have, said something you shouldn't have, did something you shouldn't have. Aren't you glad that we're covered? As long as we're walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Because we're not perfect. Anybody in here perfect? I just want to know. No. The only way we're perfect is through the blood of Jesus. God sees us as perfect. But none of us... So here's what the, the, the purpose the Word of God serves. It's always pulling us up. It's always pulling us up. I got impatient with Kathy today. She didn't do anything for me to get impatient about. I probably drank too much coffee, and I was snappy. And I got a little impatient. She said, you're being impatient. And I said, you're right. I am being impatient. And you know what that was? That wasn't Christ-like. It wasn't the way I should have been. I wish that I could just never be impatient. But I learned a long time ago. Patience is not a gift. It's a fruit. Gifts are sown. Fruit is grown. And, 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 and so, so, you know, and there's times she's impatient with me, and she should be. I don't blame her. She got impatient on the way here. Can I tell about where I should have? She said, I want to go buy Starbucks. Well, you can't say that to me, but it's like a dinner bell. So... For us to go by Starbucks, we had to pass this exit that was full of cars. So you know what I did? I got impatient again. And she buckled her seatbelt. <laughs> and we drove, she said, we did this last time. You started to turn here and all those cars were there and you went on down. And it's way down there, Jeff. And I said, just be patient. <laughs> and so I go down there, wheeled around whipped into Starbucks. We saw that there was only one car there. And she goes, oh my gosh, there's a car there. I said, oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> so we both have had moments today 
where we were impatient. But I knew if I can just get her her sugar-free diet, vanilla, non-fat, latte, with two different kinds of sweeteners, all the impatience will go out the window and I will be saved. So I pulled in and I got it. And we made it, didn't we? One minute till. I say all that to say this. Now watch. If anyone sins, well, we all sin in little ways. What he's talking about is if you markedly, distinctly sin, but he's not addressing people who are ongoingly living a lifestyle of sin without conviction. John assumes if you're born again, you're not going to be living ongoingly in a life of sin without conviction. Matter of fact, if you're born again, you can't live in ongoing lifestyle of sin without conviction. Sometimes it's a good thing that you're in conflict. Because the reason you're in conflict is because you're saved. Before you were saved, sin was no problem. Because you didn't have the conscience you do as a child of God. But now that you're saved, your conscience, you have inside of you the mind of Christ. So you can't ongoingly sin without conviction. It's impossible if you're saved. And that's what John's telling us. Not that you're not going to make mistakes. Not that you're not going to fall short. Not that you're going to get sometimes caught up in a snare or a trap. But even then, you're under conviction. So, he says, not of somebody habitually living in unrepented uh, of sin or unrepentant of sin. It might better read, if anyone commits an act of sin. If anyone commits an act of sin, then we have an advocate. And that is a good word for attorney, lawyer. But advocate means one called to your side. One who undertakes and champions your cause. Isn't that powerful? Aren't you glad to know that when you sin, Jesus is championing your cause? He is going to the Father. Now I found something in the original language. This has got to bless you. It's very somber, sobering, but it's true. With, that little word with is from a Greek word meaning facing, facing. Now let me just change this verse a little bit for you then, or give you a picture. When we as saints sin, the Lord Jesus must face the Father with us and our sin. Because the the Greek reads... We have an advocate who faces the Father. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but when I think about that, and I think of Jesus, and I say, well, they just sin. He he faces the Father, and he goes to bat for you. And you know what he uses? His blood. Father, they're covered in my blood. And he faces the Father for you. Isn't that a powerful picture? And if you keep that picture in your mind, next time you're thinking about sinning, just think, well, now if I go there, if I do that, Jesus is going to have to face the Father. Amen.
And it says, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And I used to read that not know what in the world that meant. Propitiation. Let's say it at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Pro- it's a tongue twister. Propitiation. Now watch this. Before the New Testament was written, the Greek word for propitiation was used to describe the act of appeasing somebody who was angry with you, as Jacob did. Remember Jacob? When he was going back to the promised land, and he hadn't seen Esau, his brother, in a long time, years and years, and he thought Esau might still be mad enough to kill him. So Jacob started sending gifts ahead of himself to Esau in an attempt to appease his anger, and he sent gift after gift after gift, hoping that by the time Esau reached him, the gifts would have propitiated or appeased the anger of Esau. But that is not what propitiation means here. In the New Testament, it means to remove something causing alienation from somebody else. Now, in our case, it was our sin that stood between us and God bringing total alienation. So when he talks about propitiation in John, he's talking about we were alienated from God. When I was um, about 16, I used to love going in the woods, and I was kind of a critter guy. I had a cage full of snakes. I had all kinds of different animals and things that I'd trapped and caught and fed. And I even had a six-foot boa constrictor one time get loose in Austin. And as far as I know, he's still out there. (laughs) But now watch this. One of my friends one time went out in the woods. And uh, he gave me a little call and he said, man, he said, I'm ruined. I said, what happened? He said, I was hunting. And I walked around this tree, and I, he saw me before I saw him, and a skunk got me like a bullseye. And he said, I'm, I, it, when I can get away from throwing up, I'm so bad, nobody will come near me. And he said, Jeff, I've done everything. Now back then, he said, I poured Old Spice all over myself. I've washed with soap. I don't know what to do. And so I went over there where he was. And sure enough, you could not get from here to that door to my friend. And something alienated me from him. And it repelled me. And there was no way I was going to go up to him and have fellowship with him and stand next to him because something was repelling me. So here's what I had heard way back. I had heard that if a skunk gets you, if you will pour a bunch of tomato paste in a bathtub and fill it up with tomato paste and water and get in there, that red tomato paste will get rid of that smell. So I said, you know what? Here's what you need to do. And I told him, I said, until you do, I didn't use this word, but I could have, we're alienated. Now here's what God said. There's something between you and me and it's your sin. And there's only one thing that's going to get rid of your sin. It's red and it's blood. And when you let the blood get rid of your sin, then that's the propitiation. That settles it so that now I have no problem fellowshipping with you, standing with you, talking to you, feeling at home with you. Well, my friend did it. And it did take care of most of it. But that's what the blood of Jesus does with us. 
there is a huge obstacle between anybody who has not come to Jesus and God. And it's sin. And sin is the obstacle. So when the New Testament in John uses propitiation, that's what it's talking about, removing something that alienates you from somebody else. Aren't you glad that when Jesus spilled his blood and we received his blood by faith, it removed the stench? And God said, now we can fellowship. Amen? Can we just thank him for that right now? We just thank you, Lord, for the power of the blood. Just say out loud, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Jesus on the cross assumed the guilt, our guilt, and paid the penalty in his own blood, removing the cause of alienation and providing a satisfaction for the demands of the broken law. The Greek language for verse 2 literally reads, he himself is a satisfaction. He is a satisfaction. Amen? And he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now let me just clear something up real quick because there is, there is a false teaching floating around America and other parts of the world right now and um, some very well-known preachers have fallen prey to this teaching. Uh, there's a well-known preacher uh, in Tulsa who's in essence lost his church. It was a huge church and he lost that church because he bought into this teaching. And here's the teaching. There are those who erroneously interpret this verse that he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. All right? They interpret that to mean that the atonement of Jesus' blood has saved the whole world, that everyone is covered, everyone is saved. This is called universalism. There are some in this city who believe it, who if I told you, you'd be shocked. But they do. They believe that when the blood was spilled on the cross, God said, all right, the whole world now is, is delivered from the consequences of sin, and they don't believe people are going to go to hell. Now, the only problem with that is the Bible doesn't teach that. So what is the balance? Well, look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9. Let's read it together. It's a great verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should... All right, now stop right there. If he's not wanting anybody to perish, then apparently some are going to perish. Or it would be a moot issue. All right? But what is God hoping for? That all should come to repentance. See, the only way the blood works, the only way the blood covers sin, is if the person in sin repents. And if there's no repentance, there's no remission of sins. Look at Acts 2.38. This is what Peter preached. Let's read it. Then Peter said to them, say it good and loud like you're preaching. Repent. Come on. One, two, three. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what, everybody? The remission of sins. So there is no remission of sins unless you and I repent. I mean, repent is a beautiful six-letter word. I thank God for it. I repent all the time, don't you? I think that the, the life of the Christian, once we're covered in the blood, once we're born again, every day we ought to say, now, Lord, if there's anything between you and me, any thought, any word, any action, any attitude that I've harbored, I repent. And we ought to keep short accounts with God and keep the channel clear. But if you don't repent, if lost people don't repent, they're not covered. 
They will perish. Don't ever forget that. Amen? If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't preach this Sunday. I'd go sell shoes somewhere and forget it. Why, why preach if everybody's saved? <laughs> Hallelujah. You can't tell me Charles Manson was saved. You can't tell me, uh, you can't tell me Hitler was saved. Come on. We've got to get back to the Bible. Repent or it's not covered. Now, to those who have repented of sin and come to Christ, the blood brings life. But to those who haven't, the testimony of the blood brings death. Now John says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The word know there is to know something by experience. Now you've got to catch this. This matters. John says, if we know by experience that we know him, we know that, we're right about it, we know that we're really saved if we keep his commandments. John is saying that if we are presently keeping his commandments, that is his word, then we know that in time past we came to know him. In other words, your walk confirms what you say you've experienced. Here's one of the things that a lot of people don't like about this little letter of John. Is We're going to hear it over and over and over again. He says, you tell me that you know by experience that you know him? then I will tell you, if you really know him, you will have a desire to follow his commandments. And it'll matter to you. It'll matter to you. And if that desire isn't there to follow his commandments, you're not saved. I told you he's going to separate light from dark, truth from error. If you don't have any desire to walk in his commandments, his word, love one another, forgive one another, live a clean life, live a right life, live according to what you understand is the word of God, if that's not a desire from in here, he says, you need to look at what has really happened to you and what hasn't. Because if you say you know by experience, gnosko, I know by experience that you know him, then he said, I'll be able to see it not by a perfect walk, but by a sincere walk. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I like this tape. I'm going to get it and listen to it on the way home. <laughs> Verse 4. He who says, I know him by personal experience and does not keep his commandments. Oh, John. Take sensitivity training, John. Don't call people liars. John's not calling people liars. The Holy Ghost is. He says, he who says, I know him by personal experience. Well, sure, I've been saved. Everybody in America is saved. Do you all know that? Everybody in America. Go up to anybody on the street. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You a Christian? Sure, I'm a Christian. I was baptized when I was three. Sure, I'm a Christian. John would come along and say, really? Really? Well, then... Tell me how you live. And he's going to meddle. He's going to meddle. Tell me how you live. I, I did a wedding uh, some time ago. And when I got with this couple to counsel them before tying the knot, it took me about 60 seconds to discern that this man was not remotely saved. 
I said to him, are you a Christian? And he looked at me like I had just asked him if he was a serial killer. Uh, oh, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. What's that got to do with the wedding? I said, well, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with the wedding and it has a lot to do with what happens afterwards too. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? And he went, I'll never forget that. Well, he's way up there on my list. <laughs> and I just, and I started thinking of John. If John had been sitting there, he just said, really? <laughs> really? Way up there on your list. Well, who else is on that list? And is anybody above him on that list? <laughs> Let me tell you, and that's the way the culture thinks. Like, folks, He's, he's not way up on any list. He's not on a list. And, and, and I, I'm not being condescending here because I was once lost too and so were you. I'm not being condescending. But this is, this is family business. If you say you know him, John would say, really? Well, let me see how you live. Let's see how you live. What are you doing morally? How much time are you spending with God? Do you have any desire for him? Do you go to church? Do you worship? Do you hang around with other believers? Tell me about your life. And somebody lost, say, here's, that's what they would say. Well, he's way up there on, on my list. I know he's a good, good man. John would say, if we claim to have had a personal saving experience with Christ, it will be evidenced by a careful desire to live according to his word. If no such desire or lifestyle exists, we're lying about knowing him. And our churches are full of people like that. Now, I went to some humdingers before I started pastoring this church again. I mean, I went to some churches that had no right to be a church. Just out of curiosity. They didn't even mention God. Much less Christ. Uh-uh. That's not what John would approve of. By the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 5. That whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know, by experience, that we are in him. Now let's just take a couple of those words. See, keeps, the third word in verse 5. Whoever keeps, keeps is in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense just simply means habitual, continuous action. It's talking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Whoever keeps on keeping his word, day in and day out, living it, not perfect, you're going to mess up some, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fall short, but there is a desire, there is a consistency, and the more you mature in Christ, the stronger the walk gets. And he's saying, whoever keeps on keeping, not these people who go off to some uh, retreat and say they had an experience with Christ during the weekend, and then never live for him again. John would say they did not experientially ever come to know him. Because he's going to change you. Hello? It's not a religion. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not just another choice. John is saying if Jesus comes into your heart, it's going to show all over the place, and it's going to get worse as time goes on. Amen. So, 
perfected. I used to read that in 1 John. It, it would bug me. Perfected. But here's what it means. It means has been completed. It says, truly the love of God has been completed in him. In other words, the work of God's love in you and me is to bring us to the place of steadily living according to his word. That's what his love will work in and through you and me. Where we reach the place we are steadily living according to his word. That's the work of God's love. So when you see somebody really walking with him, that's what the love of God has brought to completion. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. How many of you are glad for the love of God working in your heart? And it's bringing you to a place of getting steadier and steadier, growing in maturity. That's the will of God for you. Now, here he goes again. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just like Jesus walked. Now, I love this, these word studies because look at abide. Abide means far more than just our position in Christ, who we are in him. It is used in the New Testament, the same Greek word, to refer to people living in homes. It implies fellowship, communion, dependence, harmony, friendship. So we could take this verse and say, He who says he has fellowship with him, communion with him, is dependent on him, is in harmony with him, and has a real living relationship with him, will show it in their walk. I'm just teaching John. Now the word walk, it's two words. It's peripateo, and the first word, peri, is around, and pateo, to walk. Literally, to walk around. It means the whole sphere of your activities. You go many places, all during the day, all during the week. We all have a sphere of activity. And he says, he who is walking around, going through life, saying, I love him. I have fellowship with him. He's my friend. We're in relationship. He's real to me. In all of your walking around, more and more and more, it should be looking like the way he walked around. And how did he walk around? The Bible tells us he walked around everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So when I walk, look at Jesus walking around, he was always ministering to people. He didn't live in sin. He had a heart of mercy. He loved people. He was patient. He was kind. In all of his walking around, in the sphere of light, he never walked out of it into the dark, not for a microsecond. So he says, if you say that's who he is to you, then your walking around ought to resemble his. Now, I know what you're thinking, well, then I'm a dead duck because my walking around doesn't resemble his all the time at all. Don't you understand? We're growing. But he's saying this is the way it ought to look more and more and more and more and more. So the word's pulling us up, isn't it? Come on. Come on. Oh, I was working out this week, and I, I do it just to get rid of stress. It's just really a good way to get rid of stress. But um, got a trainer for two sessions, and this trainer has to um, be a sadist <laughs> because I'm on this 
bench. And this trainer said, says, 15. I just look up, 15. You're going to be lucky if you get six out of me. They go, 15. I get up to 10. I'm just, oh my gosh, no way. Come on, come on. And then they grab a hold of it and just pull up a little bit where I can barely make. And, and, I, and I was thinking as I was pushing that 15th rep, this is what the word does. Come on, come on, come on. And you don't like it at the time, but you like it afterwards because you're stronger. <laughs> now see, here's the word. Come on, come on, come on. That's what the word does. Amen? It's a, it's a spotter. Come on. <clears throat> now what stands out over and over again is that your walk, your lifestyle will prove the genuineness of your experience with Christ. That's what John's going to say over and over again. It's going to prove it. It's going to bear it out. Now, verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now, here's what he's saying. I'm not telling you anything you haven't already heard from the day you were first saved. What I'm saying is not something brand new, but I'm repeating. I'm just repeating some things. Now, he's going somewhere with that. Let's go to verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing I have thing darker for a reason. I'll go back to it in just a moment. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, what is the thing? that's true in him and in his readers, us. What is the thing he's talking about? The thing that's true in him and in his readers is the utter necessity of walking in love. Now, I want us to hear him. I want us to hear the Holy Ghost in this letter tonight. This man is not speaking as a man. He's being moved on by the Holy Ghost, by divine revelation, and he's telling us something about this Christianity that is made, taken so flippantly and so lightly by so many people. He's saying there is something, there's a thing that is true in Jesus and it's true in you who are reading my letter. Turning Point Church, it's true in you. If you're saved, well then what is it? The Holy Ghost within us says walk in love. And if you don't walk in love, you have missed it. You have missed what he was all about. He says the commandment of love is both old and new. Old because John's readers have had it from the beginning of their Christian experience. New because in the unfolding of Christian experience, it has developed new power. As we grow, as we mature, as we age in Christ, this is a revelation, this is an outworking of the Holy Ghost that ought to be happening in every one of you. An understanding to walk in love.
Because that's exactly what Jesus' own life was like. John is saying, I know this truth about love. Because I see the darkness is passing away. Now, I didn't put it here, but passing, it really is past. It's in a present tense. And what it means is, it's like if you're standing on a sidewalk and you're watching a parade go by. You're just watching a parade go by. It has a beginning. And every parade has an end. And here's what John is saying. He's saying, I'm watching, I'm watching the darkness, the works of darkness, sin and unbelief, pass by me like a parade. And I know it's passing towards the end. It's going to come to an end. Darkness is going to come to an end. It's just like a big parade. Here it goes. Well, there goes the demons and the devil and sin and all the pain and agony and heartbreak that it causes. But John said, it's passing by. And the parade is going to reach an end. Satan will be judged. Every devil will be thrown into hell. All of the residual effects of sin will be gone. There will be no more crying, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, no more heartbreak, no more nothing that came from sin. It's passing away. He said, one day that parade is going to come to a close. But here's, John says, here's what I see. He said, my eyes are getting accustomed to the light of the gospel revelation. And I have seen a truth which was at first hidden from me. And John is saying, here's what light is dawning on me more and more and more. And when he wrote this, he was 90. He'd been walking with Jesus about seven decades if he added his time with him on earth. And he's got one book to go. A little in-the-corner obscure book called the Book of Revelation. He'll write that five years after he writes this. And that's his crowning revelation. And about five years after that, he went to be with Jesus at 100. But he's 90 here. He's been around a long time. He walked with the Lord personally, touched him, heard him, saw him. And he said, my eyes are getting more and more accustomed to this truth, the light of this truth. I'm supposed to walk in love. He says, as walking with Christ is being hammered out in experience, I'm seeing the light. We're to walk in love. And if you don't love your brother but you hate him, you're groping in black darkness. And that's what we're going to touch on next week. He says, like a passing parade, I've already talked about that, the bottom line, the true light, the genuine article, the real thing is shining. And it's the love of God through Christ. And as sin passes by and is fading away, that light is getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. So next week, we get to get stepped on our toes a little bit more because he says, if you don't love your brother but you hate them, I'm going to talk about what hate really means, and love, then you're in the dark. So don't miss next week if you want to grow. And we do want to grow, don't we? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this word. 
We thank you that John, as an older man, poured out his heart, moved on by the Holy Spirit, and told us what growing in Christ ought to really be about. Lord, help us to walk around in the light. And help us, Lord, to walk even as you walked. And help us not to live a lie. Help us, Lord, to lean on your grace, on your power, on your spirit, and to bear the fruit that we see in this wonderful apostle of God, that we would love one another and walk like you did in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. God bless you.